Well, before we begin uh, looking into God's Word, I want to commend a couple of books to you. One of the things that we're so grateful for at Founders is the way the Lord has blessed the press over these last few years. And he's enabled us to put out some books that are, are just wonderful and books that aren't being published elsewhere, maybe wouldn't have been published elsewhere. A couple of those that are brand new, hot off the press. One is by uh, Brandon Ray called Spurgeon's Forgotten Sabbatarianism. This was a subject of his dissertation. It's not a dissertation, so it, it's been edited so that it's readable. Uh, if you know anything about dissertations, you understand what I mean by that. But it's a, regardless of what your views are, on the Sabbath, it's insightful to see how Spurgeon handled that issue. And he compares Spurgeon's views to the Second London Baptist Confession. So this is available in the bookstore. I encourage you to get a copy of that. And then this one I'm really excited about as well. It's a revolutionary reading of Romans 13 by Timothy Decker. Uh, Timothy is a pastor up in Virginia, and um, he and he told us we had him on the Sword and Trial recently. And he said that uh, they made some mistakes during the COVID era in how they related to governmental authorities. And he said, we had to repent to our congregation. And he's one of a few, I can count on one hand, uh, the number of evangelical leaders that I know of who have publicly acknowledged, okay, Romans 13 is not enough just to say it's in the Bible. You actually have to exegete it. You have to read it. And so Timothy has done that in this book in a wonderful way. I highly commend it to you, encourage you to get a copy of it as well. Well, let's pray together, and then we're going to look into God's Word together. Our Father, we thank you for your Word. We come to this time together believing your Word is truth, wanting to understand it, wanting to uh, be guided into the uh, things that you have in store for us. Now, not simply as an intellectual exercise, but we want to have our souls fed. We want to understand, we want to feel, we want to be empowered to live in ways that are in harmony with your word. So we're asking you now to show us Christ, teach us from your word, help us, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, one of the most powerful faculties that we have as human beings is the ability to remember, to remember. Most of us take our memory for granted. Uh, when you get up in the morning in your home, you don't typically have to stop and think about what your routine is. You don't have to consciously try to remember where the coffee pot is or uh, what it is that you need to do next to tool around in your home. But that's not always true with things that aren't regularly familiar to us. We can remember the routines, but sometimes we have to intentionally try to remember those things that aren't so routine. We have to intentionally try to remember birthdays or anniversaries or people's names or maybe historical figures and historical dates or math equations, things that you're not just consciously having operate in the forefront of your mind. Your ability to remember is one of God's most significant gifts to you, and your memory helps you to live well in the world. That's why a loss of memory is such a tragic, sad experience whenever we see it in loved ones. You, you see it in someone that you've known, that's known you, and they begin to forget your name, 
and they forget your face, and you can just see the memory is gone. It grieves us when that happens because of old age or disease or an accident. It's tragic. But you know what else is tragic? When someone who has known the grace of God in Jesus Christ, has professed that knowledge, has confessed that Christ is Lord, starts acting as if he's never known it. Some of the most heartbreaking experiences that I've had in now more than 45 years of pastoral ministry is watching people who have once professed faith in Christ start living as if they did not know Christ. It's almost as if they have spiritual Alzheimer's. Sometimes it affects Christians intermittently and just for short seasons, but even then it's, it's painful, but other times you see it happen over a long period of time. This is why the Bible places such a high premium on the discipline of remembering. To a large degree, your spiritual health will be served by how well and effectively you work to remember the things that are true. Have you ever noticed how frequently in the Bible we are exhorted to remember? Don't forget, we are told things more than once, so we have passages like Numbers chapter 15, verse 40, remember and do all my commandments and be holy to your God. Or Ecclesiastes 12, 1, remember your creator in your youth. Psalm 105, remember God's marvelous works. Psalm 103, remember God's commandments. Paul saying to the elders of Ephesus, remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're going to know God and you're going to experience all that he has prepared for you in his grace, then you must take seriously the discipline of remembering. And there's one memory that needs to have prominence, preeminence over all other memories in a Christian's mind. Above everything else, we must discipline ourselves to remember Jesus Christ, to remember him. That's true no matter how old you are, how long you've walked with the Lord, how experienced you are in spiritual life. Brothers and sisters, each one of us needs to cultivate until our final breath, intentionally remembering Jesus. That's one of the last pieces of instruction that the Apostle Paul gave to his young colleague, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, 8. In that verse, he admonishes Timothy to remember Jesus Christ. And we've taken those apostolic words as the theme of this conference, recognizing that we're living in a time of so many challenges, so many distractions, so many responsibilities that we must stand to meet that if we're not careful, we can attempt to do those things and carry out our responsibilities while not remembering Christ. In these days of such challenges, what we're going through here in the West, what we're going through here in America, 
I don't know of anything more important than stopping to consider what it is the apostle had in mind when he tells us to remember Jesus Christ. So let me encourage you to take a copy of God's Word and open to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Our text is verse 8. But I want to read the surrounding context because Paul gives this admonition in the midst of some wonderful, helpful instruction. So hear the word of the Lord from 2 Timothy chapter 1. I'll read down through verse 13, but again, we're going to zero in on verse 8. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It's the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we're faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This is the last letter that we have in our Bibles from the pen of the Apostle Paul. He wrote it five or six years after he wrote 1 Timothy and Titus. He is in prison in Rome when he writes this letter. Now, he had been in prison in Rome before, but this time he's not under house arrest. This time he is in shackles. He is in chains. Tradition has it that Paul spent his last days in that notorious Mamertine prison, which is a pit about 30 feet in diameter that has an opening at the top that's about the size of one of our manholes on our streets today. No windows were there. No ventilation, no sanitation, no light. It was the place where the worst criminals were kept until the day of their execution. Paul had been arrested and placed in that prison because of the murderous policies enacted by the maniacal emperor Nero. Nero was a tyrant, a madman, who murdered people who were close to him, like his tutor, Seneca, his stepbrother, his mother. He murdered his own wife. And in a fit of anger in AD 64, Nero tried to burn Rome to the ground. But the backlash was so strong from the citizens that he immediately pivoted and began to blame the Christians for that fire. That allowed him to unleash a hellish torrent of persecution against the followers of Jesus. And the result was an onslaught of martyrdom for believers whose blood filled the streets of Rome 
and whose bodies burned to provide light for Nero's garden parties. It was during this outbreak of persecution that Paul was arrested and thrown in prison. Most of his friends, as he tells us in chapter 4 of this book, had deserted him. Only Luke remained with him in this critical moment. And knowing that his days were numbered, Paul writes his final letter to his dear, close friend and colleague in the ministry, and he asks Timothy to come to him quickly, if possible. Within a matter of weeks of writing this letter, the Apostle Paul was led out of that prison down the Ostian Way to a big block of wood where his head was laid over it and was severed from his shoulders by a Roman sword. The Apostle Paul in this last letter bears his heart to Timothy. He writes as an old warrior who's about to be relieved of duty. And he writes with a a fatherly tone as he passes the torch to Timothy. Above all, he encourages Timothy to stand firm in the doctrine that he'd been taught to remain true to the work of the gospel to which he had been called and to stand regardless of cost or consequences. And embedded in this fatherly book of instruction is the admonition that is the text before us this morning. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Remember Jesus Christ. I'm sure that you wonder, as I have wondered, why is it that Paul would give such an, that kind of admonition to an experienced evangelist, church planter, and church leader? Yet that's exactly what the Spirit of God inspired the Apostle Paul to write. And because of that, it's right and proper for us to stop and meditate on it, to think what this means for our own souls and how we should take to heart this admonition as well. The admonition is quite simple. Remember Jesus Christ. And Paul follows that with three simple expressions that elaborate his meaning and concern. I just want to meditate on it with you this afternoon. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember that he is risen. Remember the risen Christ, risen from the dead. In other words, Paul underscores here for Timothy the fact that Jesus was literally and historically a person that experienced death. I mean, you don't rise from the dead if you haven't experienced death. And so he says, risen from the dead. Paul wrote and preached in no uncertain terms about the death of Jesus Christ. His letters are filled with doctrinal insight about the nature of Jesus's death. Physically, when Jesus died, he went to the realm of the dead. Just as in his humanity, once conceived in the womb of Mary, he experienced a real birth like you and I experience birth. He lived a real life with all the trials and all the ups and downs that go with it. And he really died 
which means he had a final heartbeat. He had a final breath. And he experienced all the suffering that preceded that death. Spiritually and theologically, the death of Jesus was an atonement. It was a payment for sin. He came for a specific purpose that his death accomplished. And Paul writes about the atoning death of Jesus many places, nowhere more pointedly than in Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 26, which might be the most important paragraph in all of the New Testament. Hear what he says. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The death of Jesus Christ propitiated God. It satisfied the wrath of God. The righteous requirements of God's law against sin and those who commit sin. Paul here says that the death of Jesus was intended by God. God set him forth to be a propitiation, to to come in between those who are the objects of wrath because of their sin and the one who's pouring out his wrath. And Jesus' death was designed by God to be a propitiation for all of those who had sinned prior to his coming. This is how you explain the salvation of Old Testament saints. If you read the Old Testament and you see that, that Moses and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they're men of God, they're saints, and you think, well, of course, okay, and they're with God, and you read about Pharaoh, and you see how wicked he was, you say, well, of course, he would be under the wrath of God, but you ought to stop and ask, well, wait a minute, didn't Moses and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob sin as well? I understand Pharaoh paying for his sin, but who paid for Moses' sin? Blood and bulls of goats, that doesn't take away sin. What happened to Abraham's sin? How did Abraham get to be with God, having sinned in this life? Well, the answer is found in that paragraph in Romans 3. It's as if God took the sins of his Old Testament saints and he put them in escrow until the coming day that he would set forth his son to be a propitiation by his blood, by his death. And when Christ went to his death, he took the sins of those Old Testament saints together with the sins of his people that were alive at that time, together with the sins of all the people who would ever believe in him, and he stood before God and he satisfied the righteous judgment of God against the sins of all of his people. He died an atoning death. This is what enables God to justly justify sinners who have faith in Christ. So Jesus experienced death 
but he didn't stay dead. He's been raised from the dead. And this is really the point of the emphasis of Paul's language. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. The way that Paul phrases that is very intentional to remind us, assure us that yes, he experienced death and experienced resurrection, but he remains risen. He was raised and he lives today as the risen one. The resurrection of Jesus is a historical event. Paul teaches it everywhere. You can see how central it is to his own ministry, his own theology, when you consider the sermons that he preaches in the book of Acts. But in 1 Corinthians 15, he spells it out more elaborately than he does anywhere else. Let me read to you a portion of that chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 3. Paul says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, that He appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve, and then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to me, as one untimely born, He appeared also to me. The resurrection of Jesus was a historical event that has eternal consequences because he remains alive today. He was raised never to die again, which means the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. You cannot think rightly about this world, about your life in this world, apart from considering the significance that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead never to die again. What that means, brothers and sisters, is that there's more to reality than we can access with our senses. There's more than we can figure out with our minds. There's truth, there's reality that is revealed to us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection in that sense is the foundation of our faith. Listen to the way the early church father Augustine put it. Let us believe in Christ crucified, he wrote, but in him as the one who rose again on the third day. That's the faith that distinguishes us from the pagans, distinguishes us from the Jews the faith by which we believe that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. It is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead that separates Christianity from all of the religions of the world. This is what makes Christianity the one true religion. 2,600 years ago, there was a young man by the name of Siddhartha Gautama in Northern India who claimed to be enlightened while sitting under a bow tree. He went on to be called the Buddha, and his teachings have become the foundation of Buddhism. But Buddha died. He was cremated, and his ashes were distributed among eight of his followers. At the same time, in the 6th century BC, in the land of China, the state of Lu, an unknown philosopher began to teach his own political life and philosophies. And today, Confucius has millions of followers. 
But he died in 479 BC, and his remains were buried and remained buried at the town of Jenin. In the 7th century, the prophet of Arabia was born in Mecca. Muhammad's teachings have become the basis of Islam, one of the fastest growing of all the world's religions. But Muhammad died in 632 in Medina, and his grave is still there as a sacred place for Muslims. But 2,000 years ago, the Son of God became a man born of the Virgin Mary. He grew up and lived a full life under the guidance of God and fulfilling God's law. He declared himself to be the only begotten Son of God. And he died upon a Roman cross in a very public and humiliating way. But three days later, he died, or he rose from his death and spent 40 days after that teaching and appearing to more than 500 of his disciples. And then his closest friends were around him when he ascended from their midst into heaven, promising that one day he would return. Having lived and died and been raised from the dead, he lives still. This is what distinguishes Christianity from all other religions. Our religion teaches us that there is a Savior who lives. The crucified one was raised. Our master conquered death. When a Christian rightly remembers Christ, it's not the memory of a loved one that has passed away. It's the memory of one who went through death, conquered death, was raised from the dead, will never die again, and ever lives for us now. That's our faith. Paul wants Timothy to remember Jesus this way, as the risen, living, reigning Lord. Because to remember Jesus this way breathes hope into a despairing heart. It gives strength to weakened knees. It brings eternal perspectives into the trials and confusion of the moment. So remember Jesus Christ. Remember that he's risen from the dead. But Paul then adds something to this. Remember that Jesus Christ is the offspring of David. Literally that he's out of the seed of David. Paul uses this phrase only one other time, and it's in the opening verses to his letter to the church at Rome. In verse 3 of that letter, he describes the gospel of God being concerned with, as he puts it, his son who was descended from David, out of the seed of David, according to the flesh. All four of the gospels, as they tell us about Jesus, refer to Jesus as being descended from David. Why is this? Because God promised in the Old Testament that he would send one from David who would sit upon a throne that would never topple, that he would be king over an everlasting kingdom. We see this in 2 Samuel chapter 7 where God promised David, when your days pass and are filled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body. I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Paul says, Timothy, remember that's Jesus. He's the king from David. Psalm 89 says, 
I've sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. By referring to Jesus as the offspring of David, there are two points that the Apostle Paul is making. First, Jesus was indeed truly a man. As the eternal son of God, he assumed manhood. He didn't stop being God in any way, but he brought humanity into his deity. He was born in this world just as you and I were born. But secondly, as the God-man, Jesus is the long-promised Messiah. He's the one who fulfills the Old Testament prophecies concerning the son of David who would come to sit upon David's throne and rule God's kingdom forever. Jesus' connection to King David in the Old Testament is important for our understanding of who he is and remembering him properly. When he rode into Jerusalem the Sunday before his, res his execution and resurrection, people lined the road and shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. David was the great warrior king of Israel who went out and conquered the enemies of God on the earth. As David's rightful spiritual heir, Jesus now sits enthroned over God's eternal kingdom in heaven. And because of his resurrection, he rules as the eternal king over all kings. Paul focuses upon this exalted position of Jesus by calling him the offspring of David, the fulfillment of all the prophecies concerning David and the kingdom. Jesus Christ came into the world just like David. And he went out to conquer the enemies of God by his life, death, and resurrection. And now in heaven, he is seated in his rightful place at the right hand of God, the Father, and he is ruling and reigning as the sovereign king. So remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Remember Jesus Christ, the offspring of David. And then Paul adds to this admonition, this final phrase, as preached in my gospel. Remember Jesus Christ is the sum and the substance of the gospel, this message of good news, the message that the whole Bible reveals. The whole Bible's about the gospel. And Jesus Christ is the sum of that gospel. When Paul says my gospel, he's using that language not because he originated it, not because it's unique to him as opposed to other people's gospel, but because he had staked his life on this message. This is truth that had been revealed to Paul directly by Christ himself. He says that in Galatians 1.12, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul had given his life to preach this gospel, to see it spread throughout the world. And now, as he neared his death, he's depending on it. He's counting on its truthfulness. All his eggs are in that basket that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. This was not a religious theory for him. It wasn't philosophical speculation. It was his life. It was his hope. This was his salvation. 
I know we're at a conference where the instruction is given to Christians primarily, but I, I can't help but wonder if you're here at this conference and maybe you can't say what Paul said. My gospel. Maybe you know about the gospel and you can articulate the gospel. But have you ever appropriated the gospel? Have you ever received Christ Jesus as Lord by simple faith, taking God at his word, believing what he says, and humbling yourself and bowing before him? Pastor Graham mentioned that we're delighted to have children here, and that's absolutely true. Children, we want you to know, man, you're loved and we're, we're glad you're here. Glad you'd want to be here. But I want to ask you as children, have you thought seriously about this good news of Jesus Christ? Maybe mom or dad or mom and dad or both Christians. But do you realize you must become a Christian as well? Can you say, my gospel if you will humble yourself before Jesus Christ as Lord, receive him, turn from your sin, trust him, then you will be able to say with the Apostle Paul, my gospel. As I suggested earlier, I've often wondered why Paul, knowing that he would die soon, would think it important to tell Timothy, remember Jesus Christ. I mean, was Timothy really in danger of forgetting Jesus? Did he really need this admonition? I wonder how it landed on him. I could see where some might be offended. Thinking, I've been a Christian a long time. Of course, I know and remember Jesus Christ. I mean, would you be offended if somebody says, I really want your attention and I want you to pay attention to what I'm about to tell you. Remember Jesus Christ. Would that just kind of fall off of you like water on the back of a duck? Let me make it more personal to my fellow pastors. Brothers, if an older experienced pastor were to come up to you and say, can I just have five minutes of your time? And I want to give you some counsel. I want to give you an admonition. And you're primed. You're thinking, this is great. This guy's got experience and he's got insight. And he says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. How would it land on you? Would you just kind of stifle a sense of, well, yeah, okay. But do you have anything really good? Do you have anything that's going to help me? Can't I learn something practical from you? It's not so much that pastors or other Christians will forget Jesus completely. We're not going to typically forget the information about Jesus. In fact, I dare say that if I were to give you a quiz in this room, that nearly everybody would do really well on the doctrine of Jesus Christ. 
Our problem is not that Jesus goes completely out of our minds. Our problem is rather that we lose sight of the significance of who Jesus is and the significance of what He has accomplished for our salvation. In the press of daily life, in the midst of many demands, in times of intensity as well as times of normalcy, we can fall back into patterns of thinking, patterns of feeling. We can fall back into making plans and ordering our actions by being oriented exclusively by our circumstances. And we let circumstances dictate what we think, how we feel, what we plan. We too easily fall prey to this way of thinking and feeling, ways that are disconnected from the risen, reigning Christ. It's not that we reject Him or forget Him intentionally. It's that we just too easily assume Christ. Well, of course, we're Christians. Of course, I have Christ. We keep Him and all that He is for us and has done for us in the back of our minds rather than at the forefront of our minds, and the result is that our circumstances, our experiences, other voices tend to have greater influence over our thoughts and attitudes and actions than does the risen Christ. The Apostle Paul knew this. It's a danger. Every Christian faces this danger. We face it all the time. But it seems like we particularly face it in times of trial, when sorrow threatens to overwhelm you due to the heartbreak of loss, when despondency keeps hijacking your thoughts and emotions, and joy just seems to be a faint memory on a distant horizon. In those moments, what you need more than anything else is to remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Since God raised Jesus from the dead, He's fully willing and able to help us in our trials. This is a lesson that we need to learn and relearn throughout our lives. I'm greatly comforted in knowing that it was a lesson the Apostle Paul had to learn and relearn. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul describes something or refers to something that happened to him in Asia. We don't know details. He doesn't give us details. But it was hard. And it was traumatic for him. Listen to the way he describes that. He, he says, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Whatever it was, Paul thought he was going to die. There's even a hint in the way that he writes this that maybe he wanted to die. Have you ever been there? Things are so difficult and seem so hopeless. And you think, well, it would just be better if my life came to an end. I don't think I'm going to make it out of this. He tells us, looking back on that event, how he endured it, what the Lord did for him. He says, all this happened 
to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He remembered. There's a man who died that lives. God raised that man from the dead. My God, the one who has given me all that I have, the one who has sent his son for me, my God raises dead people back to life. And Paul said, I had to learn to quit trusting myself and trust the God who raises the dead. (laughs) This God is fully trustworthy. He should be relied on. That's what Paul did. But it came through severe trial. And in and after the trial, Paul learned, I can resign my life into the hands of the one who raises the dead because Jesus Christ, my Lord, is risen from the dead. Well, brothers and sisters, if the Apostle Paul needed to be reminded of this, it's no wonder that he gives this admonition to Timothy. It's no wonder that the Spirit of God put it in the Word of God for our benefit. We need this message in our lives. There's so many needs, so many ways you can exert your energy in good causes. And if we're not careful, you can begin to do that subtly, forgetting the risen Christ. So as we go through this conference, remember, we have a crucified risen Savior. He came for us. He lived for us. He was raised for us, and He remains risen for us in heaven, ruling and reigning. Remember Him. Consider Him. In all your circumstances, make it a priority to discipline your thoughts, to remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this admonition. It's easy to overlook, easy to take for granted. Would you not help us to see what you showed the Apostle Paul? Would you not by your spirit come and strengthen us in the discipline of remembering and help us to take to heart what you've done for us, what you are for us in our crucified, risen Savior. For we pray in his name. Amen.